good morning, TLC. It's Torin. And uh, I got new glasses that are real because I'm 45 and that's just kind of what happens. So uh, now that we got that out of the way, I just want to welcome you to our service this morning. I'm super excited about what I get to uh, share with you. And uh, I, I realized as I was preparing this that I want to be a Grand Canyon kind of person, uh, not a, a Mona Lisa kind of person. Uh, let, let me explain uh, what I mean by that. Uh, when I uh, was living in Chicago, Brenda and I had been married for a couple of years. We had some friends. They were a little bit older than us. Their uh, kid was in my middle school youth group. Uh, he got moved to Paris for three years for his job. Now, I don't know what he did, but it was some kind of baller job. He had this big old apartment. They literally had scooters, Razor scooters, to like get to their bedrooms, back to like the main living areas. It was crazy. And they wanted to have Americans come over and hang with them. And so they invited Brenda and I to come and stay with them. And so uh, it was like the only way we were going to be able to afford a trip to Paris. Uh, we had free lodging. It was amazing. So we went over there, and they wanted to show us some of the cool sites. So one particular morning, we got up early. We went to the Louvre, uh, the you know, famous museum, and we got there actually before it even opened. Uh, we waited in line. I think we were the second people to, uh, as soon as the ticket gates opened, we bought our tickets, and I'm not even kidding you, we like speed walked directly to the Mona Lisa. Now, uh, if you've ever been to the Louvre or seen pictures, the Mona Lisa gets crazy, like, busy. There's often lines just to be able to see her. Brenda and I, along with one other uh, person and our, and our friends, were the only people there for the first few minutes. And then it started to fill up just like the picture that you see. And I remember thinking, because I had seen the Mona Lisa like my whole life, like pictures of it, it was in movies, like I had seen shirts with the Mona Lisa, I had seen mugs that had the Mona Lisa on it. Like I had this thing built up in my head, like this is going to be magnificent and huge. And, and I remember getting there, and, and, and we were the first ones, so I was right up close to it. And I remember thinking, wow, shit. She's really small. <laughs> like, I know, like, if you love art and you're like a mad Mona Lisa fan and all that, like, I'm sorry, but like, it's really underwhelming. All right, you have this thing built up in your head of what it's going to look like and be like this giant, massive, amazing, gorgeous, awesome. And, and you're like, oh, that, that, that's it? Like, that, this little, that's, that's, that's Mona Lisa? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, Michelangelo wasn't a, a Renaissance master and that it's not this, you know, priceless, amazing. It is, but sometimes we build things up in our mind and then they're like a lot smaller in real life. Uh, a few years later, I visited the Grand Canyon for the first time. Now, I'd never really cared about seeing the Grand Canyon, to be honest. Like, I always just kind of thought, like, the Grand Canyon, well, that, it's like a hole, <laughs> right in the ground like I had driven from Grand Rapids to Chicago multiple multiple times and when you're there and I think it's like 96 there's that like big mining thing uh, all right well I don't even know what they're mining but it's a big hole in the ground and I'm like oh that's kind of cool I I've seen that thing like a bunch of times Grand Canyon's probably like that just a little bigger you know like I wasn't all that excited but I happened to be in Arizona we had a free day and so uh, me and a buddy we're like hey let's drive up we'll see the Grand Canyon ah cool okay Man, I remember getting out of the car 
and walking up to the rim of the Grand Canyon for the very first time. And it literally like took my breath away. I, I was like, because it was so much bigger, more immense, majestic than, than, I, had, than I had ever even possibly imagined. I, I mean, literally, it blew me away. I, I stood there on the rim looking at this amazing, gorgeous, beautiful canyon that, that God had created. And, and, and I felt so insignificant, so small in that place. I think a lot of times we do this with a lot of stuff in our lives. Uh, some things, uh, we build them up to be so necessary and needed and, and, and important. And other things, uh, they're way bigger than we would ever begin to imagine. I, I think we actually do that with God and with our needs. I was just watching a video this past week. Uh, John Mark Comer was talking about some research that he was doing, and, and it was crazy. Uh, back in the 50s, Mad Men, Madison Avenue, advertising, they actually took some Nazi psychological propaganda that was used to kind of move Germany towards Hitler and Nazism, and they translated some of that same psychological research into advertising. One of the things they said is that uh, they want to make our desires take the place of our needs. And man, I'm telling you, I think we've all kind of given into that space. I have, where it's not just that I'm worried about my needs. I, like my desires have become my needs so often. I can't tell the difference. And I, and I build them up to make them so much bigger than they actually are. And, and when it comes to my understanding of God and who he is and how powerful he is and how immense and majestic and glorious, I think I, I, I've just way underplayed him. In fact, quite honestly, I, I know I can't overplay him in that area. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love us to open up to Psalm 23. Verse 1, Psalm 23, verse 1. We talked about the first half of this verse last week. The Lord is my shepherd. Now I want to talk about the last half, which says, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. How in the world, like honestly, how in the world can David even say this? I mean, it's one thing to say, like, uh, he'll take care of me or whatever, but to say, I lack nothing, I mean, honestly, that, that feels hard to, to believe, <laughs> to think that it's true. It seems like David is talking in hyperbole, but he's not. Can I say that? C could you say that? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. What about the single mom who six weeks ago lost her job? Can she say, I lack nothing? What about the older gentleman who has COVID-19 that's on a ventilator in the ICU? Could he say, I lack nothing? What about the street kid in India or the orphan in South Africa? Could they say, I lack nothing? What about the parents who just found out that their child has been diagnosed with cancer? Can they say, I lack nothing? Friends, I'm here this morning to tell you with an unequivocal and resounding yes 
it is possible for you and I to say, I lack, we lack nothing. How is this actually possible though? Well, it's possible if God is our shepherd. Uh, Back in 1972, the United Negro College Fund, UNCF, started using a slogan that they still use to this day. If you're my age, I guarantee you know exactly what this slogan is. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Uh, They're still using it to this day. They've added a little tagline to it, but that is a powerful slogan, one of the most powerful that's been in existence in the last 50 years. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Now, uh, UNCF understands that we become what we think. Our minds actually control our bodies. We become what we think. Our minds control our bodies. In fact, Dallas Willard talks about this in his book on Psalm 23. Uh, Listen to this quote. Dallas says that the secret to a life without lack is rooted in our knowledge of God. He says our primary contact with God is through our mind. And what we do with our mind is the most important choice a person makes. What we place our minds on brings that reality into our lives. If we place our minds on God, the reality of God comes into our lives. Wherever your mind goes, the rest of your life goes with it. Oh, that's such a powerful quote right there. Wherever your mind goes, the rest of your life goes goes with it. Uh, The Apostle Paul totally understood this. Uh, Paul used to hate Jesus. Uh, He was so against Jesus and fought against people who followed Jesus until he met Jesus. And Paul's life was radically transformed. In fact, he'd go on to be a church planter where he told everybody about how true Jesus was, that Jesus truly had died on the cross as the Messiah and had risen back to life. And he planted churches in all these different cities throughout the Roman Empire in the first century. And then he often wrote letters, which is what we find in our Bible. Uh, There is one particular letter called the Letter to the Ephesians. It was to the church that was meeting in Ephesus. And Ephesus was this baller city. All right, it was huge, powerful, prestigious, had one of the greatest libraries in the ancient world. I've had the privilege a couple years ago of actually visiting ancient Ephesus in Turkey. A part of that library is actually still standing. It's in ruins, but it's still standing. You can still see places that are talked about in the book of Acts. And Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians because he wants them to understand exactly what Dallas Willard is talking about. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes them this letter that in spite of the persecution that they are facing, he wants the church to understand that they too can lack nothing. Listen to what he says. We start in verse 8. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Did you see that? The boundless riches. Like, The riches, they just overflow. You can't put up a fence, a gate, a barrier to stop them. These are boundless riches. And Paul's been given the calling to preach this message to the Gentiles. He says, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Friends, that's us. Through the church, we are the church. We are the church because we gather together and are now currently, because of this crazy pandemic, scattered into our homes and our neighborhoods. And it's through us that God wants to make the manifold, the unbelievable, the huge, the you-can't-hold-it-back wisdom of God known, right? How does that get made known? It's made known. Wisdom comes to the mind. He says, and to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him, that is Jesus, and through faith in him, that is Jesus, we can approach God with freedom and confidence. In other words, when we need something, like we can go to God with freedom and confidence. We don't have to be afraid. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, right, those same boundless, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to what? To grasp, to comprehend, to understand, to get it. To let this truth seep into our minds and fill us. He says, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Like even when you get it in your head, it's like even bigger than that. Like you can't think about it enough that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. (laughs) You You can't measure what you think he can do. He's even gonna do even more than that. More, you can't, like, it's messing me up. I can't even talk straight. Why? Because it's immeasurable. It's indescribable. It's uncontainable. I I can't give you the words that you need to understand it. It's just more than that, bigger than that. It fills us, but it overfills us. That is what it means to understand the knowledge, have that knowledge of God, to understand his glorious riches, his boundless riches. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That power is already at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, that's that's it. When that fills our minds, when we get the fullness of that, which we can't even truly fully comprehend but when we get like it's bigger than we can even imagine like that's when we know that we lack nothing uh 1555 500 some years ago uh, roland taylor was a pastor in england when persecution broke out against protestants uh pastor Taylor was sentenced to be burned at the stake, a martyr for his faith. At the time of his martyrdom, Pastor Taylor was pastoring a local church just like me. 
At the time of his martyrdom, Pastor Taylor was 45 years old, uh, just like me. At the time of his martyrdom, Pastor Taylor had four children, young children, one of whom was adopted, just like me. At the time of his martyrdom, Pastor Taylor was deeply, deeply in love with his wife, just like me. On the day that he was killed for his faith, he shared these words with his family. This is what he said. I say to my wife and to my children, the Lord gave you unto me, and the Lord hath taken me from you and you from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God careth for sparrows and for the hairs of our heads, I have ever found him more faithful and favorable than is any father or husband. Trust ye therefore in him. Pray to him, for he hath promised to help. And then just before he was killed, he knelt with his children and his wife, and he prayed with them and for them. And then, after they were done, he stood up and he gave his wife a kiss and he grabbed her hand and he said this, Farewell, my dear wife. Be of good comfort. God shall stir up a father for my children. I don't know what it was, but this past Monday, uh, when I was studying this and and, and working on this message, I I was in the office here at the church, and I I just, I lost it. (laughs) I was reading about uh, Roland Taylor. Um, I was thinking about these passages And I was just weeping, just crying out to God, like, God, I want this, like this. Man, give me that. Like, I want to know you like that. I want to be filled with you, God, so that I can understand I don't lack anything. I want my mind set on you, God. Like, that's what I want. That's what I want. And that's what I want for us, you and me, all of us. I want us to be so filled, have our minds set, because that's the difference. Where our mind goes, our lives follow. How we think about God determines what we're full of. If we think of God rarely, we recognize his provision rarely. But if we think of God often, we recognize his provision often. If we think that God's not enough, then we discount his riches. We, 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 we shrink him down to, to something we think we can hold and manage and But that's not what God is like. If we think, though, that he is always enough, like always enough, then we will know the abundance of his love. Paul understood this as well. It's why he shared everything that he shared to the letter to the Ephesian church there in Ephesus. But he also uh, talked about this power in a letter that he wrote to the church that was in Corinth, another large city in the Roman Empire. There's a a passage, it's a really well-known passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's flip over there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We often call this the love chapter. It gets read at weddings, which is a great place to read it. Uh, But I want to explain why Paul wrote it. Uh, Let's read together, starting in verse 4. Love is patient, he says. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, 
It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, I've heard this, and and maybe you have as well. Like, if you put your name in for love, right? Like, Torin is patient, Torin is kind, Torin doesn't, like, that's a great way to kind of remember what love and action actually looks like, like what we're supposed to be pursuing, going after, right? None of us does it perfectly. Uh, there's, a, there's a problem with that, though. Uh, it's not a bad exercise, necessarily, but it misses the point. It misses the point that Paul is trying to say. Uh, Dallas Willard says this about this passage. He says, Paul is not primarily giving instructions on how Christians should live but describing what God is like. Do you see that? Paul isn't primarily giving instructions on how Christians should live, but describing what God is like. First and foremost, these words describe God's love, a love that is the fruit of God's absolute self-sufficiency. God's never afraid of running out of love. He's never afraid of having too little. God can love like this because of who he is. And if we are to love like this, we need to be fully immersed in who he is. The more you know God, the more you know his limitless love, his boundless riches that are overflowing, that do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And the more that you know his limitless love, the less you have to fear. That this is exactly what John talked about in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, where he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Uh, this is why David could say, I lack nothing. He had nothing to be afraid of. He wasn't worried. He didn't have to be. He could say, I lack nothing. I have nothing to fear because he knew the love of God. He spent time focusing his heart, his mind, his life on the boundless riches. Uh, This is why anybody who knows God, who's filled to the full measure, like Paul talks about in Ephesians 3, right? They know that they lack nothing because God has become their everything. Uh, this, This is how an orphan can say they lack nothing. Uh, This is how a single mom who lost her job six weeks ago can still say, I lack nothing. This is how an older gentleman with COVID on a ventilator, can still say, I lack nothing. This is how parents of a young child recently diagnosed with cancer can still say, we lack nothing. When God is your everything, you lack nothing. When God is your everything, you lack nothing. We don't have to fear anything. Even the things that other people say we should be afraid of, things that people are like, yo man, that is scary. We don't have to be afraid, right? We don't have to freak out because we know God. Our minds are set on God. We understand his unlimited, extravagant, lavish love. Like that's what God has for us. Willard said he and his wife knew an older gentleman that had had some Uh, Pretty significant struggles in his life. Difficult things that he had to face. And and they shared the story. They said that he would often go out onto his back porch. And he would raise 
his arms up to the sky and he would cry out to God, let her rip, let her rip, Lord. Let her rip. God, let it come. Whatever it is, God, let it come. God, I can handle it because I have you. That's the confidence of the shepherd's psalm. That's the confidence to say I lack nothing. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. This is the reminder, friends, that our God is a Grand Canyon kind of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Father God, we love you. We want to love you even more. We want our minds set on you, God. We want to understand the fullness of your boundless riches and be filled to the full measure of who you are and your love and your care for us. That you are a God who who doesn't walk away. You are always near. You are a God who is rich. You are a God who cares and you are with us. And that's why we can say we lack nothing in God. You are bigger. You are bigger than we could ever imagine. And God, you promise that you will do for us even more than we could ask or imagine. And so God, we say today, we take you up on that. Let us put our minds, our hearts, our souls, our being on you. God, we know that where our mind goes, our lives will follow. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being such an amazing, extravagant, lavish provider. God, we want you to be our everything because we know when you are our everything, we lack nothing. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.